recording. Uh, we want to th- we want to take uh, as a as a topic for today uh, or as a title for today, dwelling in safety, dwelling in safety. Uh, that seems to be a prevalent um, mindset that people have today. They want to be safe. Uh, everything that seems to take place um, is has this notion of safety behind it. Um, but that's really a, uh, a false premise in a certain sense. Because as long as we're alive in this world, man born of days is a man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. We were never truly safe in a sense of being in a natural sense. There's always something that could happen. There's always some calamity that could befall us. There's always some um, sickness that can um, that we can contract. Uh, so, you know, a lot of sicknesses aren't even airborne. Uh, cancer doesn't appear in in that fashion. It just kind of here appears on its own. Uh, largely, it, it seems to uh, to stem from inflammation, and, and so uh, and a lot of disease in the human body actually originates through inflammation. Um, but that is a prevalent thought that we have in our society today is is one of safety. Um, now everything that they say, well, we just want to we just want to be safe. Um, if you're here today and you're lost, I want you to know something. You're not safe. The, you, you are actually in the most unsafe position that you could ever be in in the course of your life. I'd like to take for um, a, a scripture reading today. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read out of the three synoptic gospels um, uh, the same... We're going to look at it anyway. I'm going to take the, 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 the account that Luke gives us of the temptation of Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 4. And uh, we're also going to look at a couple of different psalms. Uh, there's a reason that I'm choosing the, the, the account given by Luke, and I'll touch on that in just a moment. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And, uh, and, and, if the Lord, and as long as the Lord allows it, we'll be going down to verse 12. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give unto thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to, whoso, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle, on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, 
He shall give charge over he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I'd like to stop right there, and I'd like for us to take as uh, once again and, and have for our thought the idea of dwelling in safety. Jesus is in the tent in the is in the wilderness. He's led by the wilderness or led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he's going to be tempted for forty days and forty nights. and And the three accounts that we have recorded in Matthew and Luke, uh, I, I always like to consider these the best uh, that the the devil had to throw at him. Uh, he saved his big guns for last. He tempted him for 40 days and for 40 nights. Uh, and, and, and these that we have recorded here, these were the biggest offers that he had. Uh, he, he saved that for, his, for at last. When Jesus physically was his weakest, uh, that's when he really tried to come after him with the best that he had. Now, I do want to make a, an observation and you'll notice this if you go and read the account that's given in the book of Matthew, uh, it also being in chapter 4, uh, you will notice that these are given in different orders. Matthew, uh, in, in both instances, uh, G, uh, Satan tempts Jesus to make the stones bread uh, first. Uh, but in, in Matthew's account, uh, in Matthew's account, he takes him, he records him as being taken to the pinnacle of the temple second, whereas Luke records that being the last. Uh, now, I'm going to get into why, try to get into some of why I believe that to be the case. Uh, and then, obviously, taking him up into a high mountain and showing him all the kingdoms of the earth and saying that he can give him every, all of this if he would just fall down and worship him. Um, Luke places that second, Matthew places it last. And so, uh, and so with that, we, we, we kind of center our thoughts around this. And, and, uh, and the first thing that Jesus does is, is, is he takes, uh, this, uh, this man, Jesus, or the, the Satan does, is he takes this man, Jesus, um, who has been fasting for 40 days, uh, who has physically very weakened, and, uh, and, and the first thing he does, is he tempts him to take a stone and turn it into a loaf of bread. Uh, and, and he does that by saying, uh, by questioning him, saying, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made a loaf of bread, or be made bread. And, uh, and so he's, he's doing a couple things here. He's questioning the deity. Uh, he's calling that into question into a certain account because the, the idea being uh, that, that if he can't do it, then he's not the Son of God, uh, but Jesus knows the game that he's playing. Now, what he's really doing is he's tempting Jesus. Really, he's tempting him in the same way that Esau was tempted. Now we come, we think, and we go back to Esau, right? And Esau had been out hunting all day, and uh, and Esau come back in uh, from being gone all day, and he was hungry uh, and famished, I would say, and uh, and he comes into uh, to jo- to Joseph uh, or to Jacob. I'm sorry, he comes into Jacob. Uh, and Jacob uh, is 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 got food ready there, 
and uh, and Esau looks at it and says, uh, it says, give me to eat or I'm going to die. He's, uh, we hear this all the time, and I'm going to put it in the nomenclature that we would hear it today. If I don't get something to eat, I'm going to die. <laughs> Some of us feel that way when the clock strikes 12 in church, don't we? <laughs> Lord have mercy, he's still talking. I'm going to die. I've heard that. He's not. He's full. (laughs) And he just let everybody know he's full. (laughs) But he's a baby. He can do that. (laughs) That could have been a lot worse. But Esau comes in to Jacob and he says, I'm starving to death. I need something to eat. And Jacob takes advantage of it and says, well, what will you give me for it? He says, will you give me your birthright? He says, what good is it to me if I'm dead? So he sells him. He, so Esau sells Jacob his birthright for a morsel of bread, right? Or a morsel of meat, whatever you want to say that it was that he was, that he had prepared there for him. And, uh, and that was a big deal. God says of Esau, he says, Esau have I, uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now, have you, I've, ever, I've always wondered about that verse of Scripture. Uh, Brother Moran has told the story several times of, uh, of, a, of a young uh, uh, student uh, of the Bible uh, going and asking his professor about that verse of Scripture, saying, I just can't understand um, why he hated Esau. And the, the professor looks at him and says, I can't understand why he loved Jacob. And and so uh, and so anyway, we get into looking at Esau, and we say, well, what is it about what is it about the act that Esau did? What is it about that act that he did that caused him to uh, to not to be so disdained? I guess is a good way of saying it in uh, in God's sight that God would make the statement, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Well, it's because what does a birthright represent? What does a birthright represent? The birthright represents the inheritance of the firstborn child. The firstborn child in those in those traditions and in those cultures, the, all the inheritance of the of the father belonged to the firstborn child. That's why it was considered the the. That's why it was. That's why it was considered. He was the the primogenitor, the uh, the one to which the inheritance would fall to. And it's basically taking the inheritance that God uh, had laid aside for him and saying, you know what, that's not even worth a piece of bread. A piece of bread right now in this moment is worth more than my inheritance. Now, Jesus has laid up for inheritance for us, which Peter says is incorruptible and undefiled. Uh, and that's uh, uh, us as Christians. That should be the inheritance that we're looking toward, uh, uh, that we're, we're excited about. Uh, one day we'll receive the reward of our inheritance, won't we? If we continue to walk in the world, uh, God will reward those uh, at the day of judgment. Those that have built upon the foundation of their faith, uh, as Paul says, we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, and we read this. Uh, it says, every man's work. Uh, I'm going to back up. It says, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, have you ever thought about this? When a person is lost and under conviction, and, and, they're, and they're seeking the Lord, and they're earnestly seeking the Lord, have you ever thought about what's taking place there? 
I've thought about it like this. Before you start building a new, you gotta you gotta get rid of the old foundation, don't you? And that's what's happening when a person's seeking the Lord. They are working and they are digging, but they're not able to do the actual work. Eventually, it takes God to come in and remove the old foundation. Ezekiel recalls it like this, cutting out the stony heart uh, and then replacing that stony heart with a heart of flesh that can feel. That was the new covenant, wasn't it? That's the foundation of our faith. Uh, no other foundation can man lay within that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he goes into this. Then he goes into your life. And he says, for other foundation, or says, for now, if any man, in verse 12, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Okay, he's just requi- he's just giving you two different categories of material that you can build upon the foundation of your faith with. Gold, silver, and precious stones or wood hay and stubble now let's look at this and then it says and every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is if any man's work abide uh, which he hath built thereupon then he shall receive a reward Think about the, the, what you're building upon the foundation of your faith with. If you're going to receive a reward, it's going to be something valuable, isn't it? It's going to be those first three things. Gold, silver, and precious stones. Uh, it's going to be the things that you've built up upon your faith that when they're tried by fire, they come out pure, they come out more valuable, they come out more pliable, softer, because pure gold is not hard. It's very soft. It's why you can only have, what, up to, is it 18 carat? The most you can have for a ring? Because otherwise it wouldn't really hold its shape. Pure gold's very soft and pliable. The impurities are what give it its hardness. That's sin. And it's going to be tried by fire one day and all the sin's going to be burned off and the only thing that's going to be left is the, the pure gold, the pure silver, the pure, the pure precious stones. And those are the reward that is laid up for us. But we're going to take that reward and we're going to throw that reward down at the feet of Jesus because without the foundation upon which all of it's built, it all falls apart. Now what about somebody who builds with the other material? See, these, these first three materials are materials that continue to exist after they've been exposed to fire. The, the other three materials are materials that are consumed when they're exposed to fire. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Why? Because of the foundation upon which he built, even though it was materials that were consumed. He doesn't receive the same reward. But God says, but Peter says, we've got an inheritance that's re, that is laid up for us in heaven that is incorruptible and undefiled. Now, uh, now I want to go back and uh, and just go back into the into, into Luke yet once again, and and think about this. So that's that's the temptation there. 
Temptation is, 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 is make these stones bread that you would throw away your birthright, that you would throw away your inheritance as the only begotten Son of God. I want to give you another, another, uh, another temptation that he's offering in this. Another temptation that he's offering in this. We don't survive in this world by luck. We don't survive in this world by happenstance. We don't survive in this world by medicine and, and, and doctors. If, 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 if the medicine has effect on our illness, it's because God allowed it to. If we've got cancer and they prescribe chemotherapy, they're really saying, well, we hope this will remedy the cancer. They don't have any way of knowing empirically that in every instance it will, because in some people it will work and some people it won't. Why is that? Because we're only, we, we subsist mainly and, and truthfully by the providence of God. And he's calling the providence of God into question here because he's saying, here you have been without bread with, for 40 days uh, and, and here you are in this weakened state. Instead of relying on God, why don't you just yourself being the son of God make this stone bread so that you can have some nourishment and strength will come back to you and you will be revived. Revive yourself. Folks, we need revival in the United States of America today, but it won't become by way of us reviving ourselves. God has to do the reviving. We've got to do what is required of us for God to revive us again. As the song says, revive us again. Uh, God has to do it. And so he's calling into question the providence of God. That God can't take care of him. God knows how to take care of his, doesn't he? The birds neither gather, or the birds neither neither uh, sow seed, neither do they gather into barns. But God feeds them and takes care of them, doesn't he? The lilies of the field, they don't, they don't toil away, but Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as like they are. The providence of God can take care of us in a much better fashion if we would just rely on God. What Satan wants us to do is cease the reliance upon God and say, I'll take care of it myself. Because he says, if thou be the Son of God, command you do it. You do it. Save yourself by works. You do it. Secondarily, he goes on. And then in, in, the, in, in Luke, the second thing he's going to do is he's going to take him up into a high mountain. Maybe it's Everest. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's the tallest point on earth so that he can see all the kingdoms of the earth. In that moment in time. And he says, you see this? I will give every bit of this to you. If you'll just fall down before me and worship me, 
I will give, I, he says, and I will give this to all of this to you if thou wilt worship me. He says, all shall be thine. All shall be thine. He says, you want to, you want to, you want, everybody falls into this, 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 this temptation right here, don't they? You know what this temptation is? This temptation is, uh, let me get rich quick. <laughs> It's let me get rich quick. Uh, it's let me sell my soul so that I can uh, have the fame and the fortune and the recognition that the world provides. Uh, but in the process of it, I turn my back on God. You're not going to be dwelling in safety by doing that. So many people who have done that, by the end of their life, they find themselves in shambles. They find themselves in shambles. They find out that they've been worshiping a false god. A false god. They've been worshiping Satan instead of worshiping God. I believe that's why when they when you talk about the pagans, uh, when you talk about all the sacrifices, all the gods that they worshipped, uh, the Bible will tell you time and time again that they worship demons. They don't worship God, they worship demons because they worship uh, the instruments uh, of uh, that Satan has before them. Satan says, here's what I got. I'll give it all to you if you'll just worship me. Now, James or Luke puts that second, Matthew puts that last. Matthew puts that last. The reason for that, I believe, is because of who they're writing to. Matthew's writing to the Jews. Right? The whole book, the whole point of the book of Matthew is to prove that Jesus is the only begotten Son. Not only that he's the only begotten Son, but he is the kingly Messiah that is sent down from above. So what's the worst thing that they could do? What's the worst thing that they could do? If you're writing to to someone like that, what's the worst thing that individual could do but to fall down and to worship something or someone else? They were the ones at Sinai. They were the ones to whom the law was given. They were the ones to whom God had had so, had so much expectation. And not only that, they had fallen into a state where they believed they were so much better than everybody and they had blasphemy laws that were so great that in their, their culture, the greatest, the worst thing you could do would be to commit blasphemy against God. That's just that's just my interpretation of it. That's the way I read it. Luke is writing to a people of a different culture. They all they agree on the first part, on, on, on the bread part, on the need for the body. They disagree on what the worst end of a person is, don't they? Luke says that, this, that, that, that he puts this second uh, where, where, where Jesus would fall down and worship uh, Satan. That that's the second worst temptation. Uh, now, in, in the third temptation, this is where I really want us to go all, uh, to, to consider this a little bit. Because this is a really wicked temptation that Satan's laying out before Jesus. Now, Matthew doesn't recount it as the worst. 
because of 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 the of, of a cultural reason. For the same reason, of, because of who these are writing to, Luke considers this the worst. I, I, that's the way I look at it. Not I look at it as it builds up, as it builds up. Here's 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 my here's my this is my very best shot that I've got. Uh, this is the last thing I've got to throw at you. You usually save your best for last, right? So he takes him up into Jerusalem. He takes him to a public place. And he sets him on a pinnacle of the temple. Now that's a high point of the temple. We got to understand what the temptation is to understand what the what the fallacy is and, and what the false teaching is and, and and how it is how it relates to dwelling in safety. So he takes him up, he sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he says to him this. Again, he calls into question his deity. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from thence. From hence. Okay, you're up on a high point. If you're the Son of God, jump off. Jump off that high point of that building. If you're the son of God. Does anybody here think that would be a wise move to do? <laughs> I don't think it would be very wise, would it? You're probably going to meet an abrupt end when you hit the ground. Here, here's, here's, here's the deception. He's going he's gonna to transform himself to an angel of light. He's going to quote scripture to back up why Jesus should jump off the pinnacle of the temple. In public, in front of everybody. Remember, what was the one thing that Je- that Satan always wanted? He wanted to be counted as above God, and and one of the best things he could do would be to have God destroy Himself in the flesh in front of the sight of all men. Uh, and here He is. He says, "For it is written, He shall give His, his angels charge over thee to keep thee." Okay, now here's, here's, here's where I want us to go and look into it just a little bit. Over in Matthew, he says it this way. He says, for it is written, he said, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And, in, and then in their hands, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Luke says this, he says, uh, he will give his angels charge over thee, then he says to keep thee. Notice he also is going to admit, omit something. We're going to go and look at what they're omitting. And it says, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Now that comes out of Psalm 91. Now we're going to look at this in just a second. Now the Jesus' response is what I want us to look at here before we go to Psalm 91. Jesus looks at him and he, and he answers unto him saying, it is said that thou shalt not not tempt the Lord thy God. Now I want to make that. I want us to try to make this come into uh, into clarity, if I could say it in such a manner. I don't know if that's the right word or not. I want us to be able to understand the how this uh, relates to dwelling in safety. Uh, Psalm ninety one starts out like this. It says, "He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty." 
You want to be safe, you better dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. You better have a relationship with God. You better know God. You better walk with God. Uh, you better be as, you better try to emulate Enoch as much as you can. Why do I say that? Because Enoch walked with God and he was not because he walked so close to God that God enjoyed his fellowship to such a degree that God said, you're coming home with me today. <laughs> says, and he was not. You're going to come to my house, Enoch. Zacchaeus climbed up that tree, didn't he? Because he was short like I am. Had to put a lot of effort and energy just into getting a glimpse of the Savior as he passed by. Uh, Jesus looked at him and he said, I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. Because unlike everybody else, you had to work to try to see me. You think you're just going to fall into salvation. It's a laughable premise. God has made a way whereby all men can be saved uh, and Jesus is the one who paid the price so that you can be saved uh, and if you're going to be truly safe in this world it's because you're going to dwell in the secret place of the Most High and abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Jesus standing in Jerusalem looking down on Jerusalem weeping and says Jerusalem, Jerusalem O thou that, that killest the prophets how but I have not gathered thee under my wings as a hen doth gather her chicks. And I'm paraphrasing some of that. Um, but he would have he made that same analogy to the Jews that were in Jerusalem of the day, saying that he would have gathered them under the shadow of his wings, and he and he likened it to a hen that would gather her chicks under her wings whenever there was great trouble or turmoil that would come in the way. And my friend, here this morning, if we want to call ourselves Christian uh, and we look at the things going on in the world and they trouble us to such an extent that we lose sleep. Uh, they trouble It troubles us to such an extent that we lose our appetite. It troubles us to such an extent that it impacts our relationship with God. We're not abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. He says this. He says, I will say of the Lord, now in, ita now, in italics, it says he is. I don't think it's necessary here. I'm just going to be honest. That's for contextual reasons, right? He, I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. If God has determined that your time is through... A doctor is not going to prevent it. A mask isn't going to prevent it. Nothing's going to prevent it. If The only thing that's going to prevent you leaving this world is going to be the providence of God. I'm going to, I want to point something out here in just a moment. Actually, I'm going to do it right now. Satan's going to prove it. Satan's going to prove it. We're going to go back and look here. We're in the ninth verse of the fourth chapter of Luke. I'm pretty sure that Matthew records it pretty much the same way. Um, yes, yes, he does. Uh, so in both chapter of chapter four of Matthew, chapter four of Luke, uh, they both present it this way. And Satan takes him to the temp pinnacle of the temple, and he says to him, "Cast thyself down." 
Notice Satan's not the one doing the casting, is he? He wants to convince you to cast yourself down. He wanted to convince Jesus to cast himself down. Now, I said this was last because of who he was writing to in the book of Luke because they were largely Epicurean. The worst thing that could happen to them was dying. He's taking some scripture. He's bending and twisting and contorting it to make it fit his narrative. Here's how he does it. Here's how he does it. Let's drop down in the 91st uh, division of the Psalms. In the 7th verse it says, A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Why? Because you've been granted immunity not from anybody else other than the Lord God Almighty. He is the one watching over you. He is the one protecting you. Why is that? Because He is where you dwell. I'm going to prove that here in just a second. Only with thine eyes thou shalt behold and see the reward of the wicked. And that's because God recompenses. The the recompense belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And then he continues on. He says, because thou hast made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, thy habitation. Jesus said, if you will abide in me, I abide in you. Satan was trying to get Jesus to forget that God will providentially take care of his people. I have never seen I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. Begging bread, yeah. I've never seen it. God always takes care of his children, doesn't he? Always. Or he wanted him to act on a presumption that God would take care of it. You know what? You, can, you can't do something stupid <laughs> and say, God will take care of me. If he'd have taken a flying leap off that building, he's on his own because he did something to tempt the Lord. But that's, what he told, that's why he told G, the, Satan, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. He tempted him to jump off of that building and, and commit suicide in a public place. That's what the temptation was. Do it. But he said he takes scripture and he rests it. Now let's look at the scripture that he's, that he's going to take and he's going to rest. Verse 10, it says, There shall no evil befall thee, neither, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels... Now this right here we go. For he shall give his angels charge over thee. Now remember, Matthew says, He shall give his angels charge over thee, and they that bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot in the, against the stone. Luke recorded it this way, that he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. They, shall, they that bear thee up shall, in their hands, uh, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. The, in other words, he's saying, if you're the Son of God, and you jump off of this building, the angels of God will not permit anything bad to happen to you. Who believes that? Anybody believe that? 
Anybody agree with that? There's a big omission made. There's a huge omission made in both instances. We go back and we look at verse 10. Sorry, verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. To keep thee in all thy ways. In your journeys, in your travels, in, in, your, in the course of your daily life, in your family life, in whatever you may do, as long as the habitation of your, uh, as long as your habitation resides where it does uh, up here in the ninth verse, meaning, meaning that because thou hast made the Lord my refuge, the most high thy habitation, as long as you're living in the Word of God and abiding in God in the Spirit of God, uh, and you're living your life uh, uh, and walking with God, uh, you're not going to do something stupid like jump off. Building. <laughs> Let's just be honest. You're not going to jump off a building. That's not to. That's, I mean, there are people that do that all the time, and oftentimes they do it. They do it out of despair. What causes them to get to such a place of desperation? I would. I would say in almost every instance, it's because they have not made the Lord their habitation and He's not their dwelling place. And you may say, well, what of a saved person that does that? I would say that they have not made the Lord their habitation, nor have they made Him their, or nor do they dwell with Him. God will take care of you, as, but he, he's, he's given us the sense to do things to take care of ourselves too, hasn't he? We know not to do these things. God will prosper. We will prosper in the hands of the Lord, but we can't do something, something to tempt the Lord and not expect that we won't bear the punishment for it. Satan takes verses of Scripture here. He presents himself as an angel of light to the Lord. He quotes Scripture, but he perverts Scripture at the same time. And he says, but the angels will bear thee up in whatever you do. This is presented today in a theological stance like this. In the Calvinistic doctrine. No matter what you do, you're safe. Because you are one of the elect. (laughs) That's the Calvinist doctrine. Now we get now we get criticized, and I'm going to close. We get criticized because we believe once saved, always saved. We get criticized by the people who believe you can lose your salvation. I understand the argument for why they believe you can lose your salvation. I do. I understand it. I can. It's, I'll be honest with you. It's easier to justify and it's easier to rationalize a lot of times, but it doesn't doesn't square with scripture. It doesn't square with scripture. There is no presumption that we can do whatever we want. That, that is the doctrine. Here's the problem. That is the antinomian doctrine. That you can do whatever you want and you're still saved. Listen, it, is only, as, as it, it only pertains, 
It only pertains when it says in all your ways to as long as you're living with the Lord, walking with the Lord, fellowshipping with the Lord, then and only then does that apply. If you stop doing those things, you've opened yourself up. If you're here today and you're lost, uh, you need to get saved because that's the first step in walking with the Lord. It's not the end. It's the beginning of a lifelong walk with God and it ends either at death or the day that the Lord comes back. Either way, it ends with you seeing Jesus. I hear a lot of people say, when I die, the first thing I want to see is I want to see Mommy. Or when I die, the first thing I want to see is I want to see Daddy. Well, your priorities are confused. When I die, the first thing I want to see is Jesus. I want to see Him who was pierced for my sins. I want to see Him who was beaten for my iniquity. I want to see Him and behold Him. And one day... One day I will do that in my flesh. Job knew that. He said, with my eyes I will behold him. And One day we will. We want to be safe in this world? First and foremost, you've got to get saved. If there's anybody here and is lost, I'd encourage you to seek the Lord while you can. For those of us that are saved, we better be, we better be walking and talking with the Lord daily. We'll have safety. The world can go crazy around us. What Satan was trying to do was the same thing he did to Peter. He was trying to cause a lot of noise around the Lord to cause the Lord to take his eyes off of the Father. That he'd fall. That he'd sink. But the Lord never took his eyes off his father. He always knew what he was there to do. We need to know what our, what our purpose is. Our purpose is to spread the gospel to as many people that will hear it. And teach them. Pray with them. But whether they get saved or not, that's between them and the Lord. And what else is between us and the Lord is if we cease to walk with Him. We've opened ourselves up to the devil, haven't we? We have. We've opened ourselves up to Him. He tempted Jesus. He said, cast thyself down. The angels will take care of you. He says, it's written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That's my message today. I hope you got something out of it. I pray you got. I pray it was for your benefit, for the glory of God. I don't really worry about a lot, a lot that goes on. The world's always been wicked. Always has been. It's ebbed and flowed. There's been times where it peaked and times where it waned. But it's always been wicked ever since the day that Adam sinned in the garden. 
We look around today and we say, well, how in the world can we do this? Because sin. Unrighteousness is, defin is defined as lawlessness. That seems to be the virtue of the, of the day. But if we keep our eyes on the Lord, we'll be at perfect peace, won't we? How is it that you know you've got that you've been saved? If you're here today and you're lost, how is it that you'll know you've been saved? Because you feel peace with the Lord. He's not your enemy anymore. He's your friend. You got to walk with him, Brother Williams.